Good day, everyone. Ooh. I meant to do that, thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. That's my opening for today. I'm Dave, I'm one of the clumsy student ministers here at Snack. Uh, it's great to be, but also just see our reflex. So, you know, am I clumsy or am I really um, coordinated? Who knows? <laughs> I'm one of the student ministers. It's great to be with you now, working through our first reading today. Being a dad, it's given me a new perspective on sickness. There's this one time, uh, Maddie was away uh, for the night, and I was at home with the kids. And it just happened to be the night that all the kids got a gastro bug. Yep. <laughs> You'll be pleased, now. I'm not going to go into details about this bug, uh, but I will tell you this. It was like something out of a horror film. <laughs> there were things I saw that night that I can't unsee. I think the moment I knew things was bad was when we'd run out of all our bedding, all our sheets in the house, and so I got some towels and just laid them out, just hoping that they would do the job. I'm not sure that they did, but Maddie can tell you later, because she came home after that. So. Now, as annoying as, um, as that experience is, you know, it's a pretty trivial kind of sickness. Uh, it's, it's annoying, but it's not much. Um, but there's a, there's a more extreme type of sickness, uh, one where life and death hangs in the balance, uh, one where, where your family's going through it or loved ones, and you're just filled with worry, you know, it keeps you up at night. And when you're apart from them and you hear the phone ring, you wonder, is this the moment? They've taken a turn for the worst. That's a different experience, isn't it? It may even be the kind of thing that, that you're going through at the moment. We're going to spend time in our first reading today seeing Jesus' uh, second sign, his second miracle recorded in John's Gospel. Uh, and as we work through it, we're going to see how Jesus, how, how God speaks uh, into this space of sickness and death. Before we do, though, let's get our bearings. Uh, so we're in the middle of a mini-series in John's Gospel. Uh, John's recorded these different signs that Jesus has performed, his different miracles. And John tells us the purpose for this. Uh, in chapter 20, this is what he says. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which aren't recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So the purpose of these signs is to point us to the greater reality, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing we might find life in his name. So let's get into our passage today and see how this sign reveals this greater glory. Our story begins today with a dishonourable welcome. Leading up to our passage, uh, Jesus and his disciples have been staying in Samaria. You can see it, you might be able to see it on the map, it's just in the middle there. Uh, and while they were there, uh, people believed in Jesus, they found life in him. They said he is the saviour of the world. Now they're moving further north to the region of Galilee. And we hear that the Galileans welcome him. And we're told the reason in verse 45. Pull out your Bibles if you don't have them open. Verse 45. Because they'd seen everything he did in Jerusalem during the festival, for they'd also gone to the festival. This is talking about the Passover festival that's recorded in chapter 2. And so some of these Galileans made the trip down to Judea for this. And they're among those people who saw Jesus' miracles and they believed in him. And now as Jesus returns to Galilee, they're welcoming him into Galilee. Sounds pretty positive, right? 
But did you notice the verse before, verse 44? Have a look. As they're heading for Galilee, John includes these words. He says, Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honour in his own country. So these Galileans, they're they're receiving Jesus with a form of faith, and yet they're not honouring Jesus. How can you do that? How can you believe in Jesus and not honour him? Well, let's keep reading. Uh, From here, verse 46, we hear Jesus and his disciples, they went again to Cana of Galilee, where he'd turned the water into wine. You can see it on the map. Cana's just near Nazareth, where Jesus grew up. And last week with Troy, we saw that Jesus performed his first sign there. He turned the water into wine. Now, it's at this point in the story, we're introduced to another person. End of verse 46, there was a particular royal official whose son was ill at Capernaum. We're not told this man's name, but he's an official, probably a Jew, and his role involves serving the Roman Empire, uh, who Israel were under at the time. But more than an official, he's a father and his son is ill. Later we learn this son has a fever and he's about to die. It's at this point, I feel out of my depth as I hear this man's experience. I've got three kids. None of them have been extremely sick. None of them have passed away. But I'm sure people here have had that experience or know people who have. I understand it's one of the most horrible griefs you can go through. This father's in a desperate situation, but he gets a glimpse of hope. He hears that Jesus is in Cana, just near where he lives. Now, we don't know whether he'd seen Jesus' miracles or he'd just heard about them. But either way, now this man has a plan. Verse 47, when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea into Galilee, he went to him and he pleaded him to come down and heal his son, for he was about to die. So he travels to Cana and he begs Jesus to come, come back with him and heal his son. Now you can imagine him there before Jesus, pleading his case with raw emotion. He's a father that's doing everything he can to protect his son. Which, which makes Jesus' response a little bit surprising. Verse 48, what does he say? Jesus told him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. This man's come to Jesus for help, and Jesus rebukes him. Why? Well, it's not because there's anything wrong with this man's coming to Jesus for help. Uh, He's actually a great example of a man who cares for his family. And as we see later, Jesus has compassion on him and his circumstances. It's not those things. It's because there's an even more critical matter that Jesus is dealing with here. It's a faulty belief in Jesus. What is a faulty belief in Jesus? Well, you see through John's gospel, there are people who trust in Jesus, which is great but they're not trusting in Jesus on his terms. They're not trusting him based on who Jesus says he is, what Jesus says he's come to do. Instead, they're receiving Jesus, but they're doing it on, his, on their own terms, on the terms of this world and its values. And returning to verse 48, we see Jesus, uh, he's addressing a particular type of faulty belief here. Again, have the read at verse 48. He says, "'Unless you people see signs and wonders, "'you won't believe.'" So we see the problem here has something to do with the signs. Now you might be thinking at this point, hold on, like, aren't the signs a good thing? 
And uh, my response would be, I hope so, because we're doing a seven-week series in the signs. <laughs> I hope they are. And what's more, John's told us. It's through, he's put these signs in so we might believe in Jesus and find life. So it's not the sign themselves. But what is the issue? Well, they're trusting Jesus based on the signs alone, rather than the reality that they're pointing to. Notice uh, verse 48. Uh, Jesus addresses this man in the plural. He says, you people. You see, he's using this man as an example of the Galileans more generally. Remember, it's these Galileans who were at the festival. They saw Jesus' miracles and they believed in him. And they welcomed Jesus into Galilee, but they didn't give him honour. And now we're seeing why. These Galileans were trusting in Jesus by their belief centred on the signs instead of the glorious reality. And what's more, instead of humbly listening to Jesus and hearing how Jesus was revealing himself to him, revealing his plans, they made demands of him. And we see this even with the royal official. You see, he's learned from the signs that Jesus might be able to meet his needs, which is true, but it's only on this basis he comes to Jesus. So how significant is this faulty belief in Jesus? Well, in this story, if we look at it from Jesus' perspective, he sees it as so important. He needs to address this matter before he then addresses the matter of the dying son. It's, it's that critical. And so given the, given the urgency, it's worth asking the question, is your faith grounded in a faulty belief in Jesus? That is... Is it grounded in our own agenda or the agenda of this world instead of his agenda? It's so important to get this right. Jesus doesn't promise uh, to preserve the life of you or your loved ones in this world. He doesn't promise that you'll find the perfect spouse or have the perfect family. He doesn't pr promise to fulfill all your hopes and ambitions in this world. And any faith based on these things, it's a faulty belief that needs to be addressed. It needs to be addressed especially because, as we're about to see, what Jesus does hold out is so much more glorious. We don't want to miss it. But let's keep working through the story. We see that despite Jesus' words at this point, the man's sticking with plan A. Let's call it the Galilean false belief plan. I know it's catchy, right? We'll, we'll keep working on it together. We'll workshop. But verse 49, he responds to Jesus saying, Sir, come down before my son dies. He thinks if only he can bring Jesus back with him, maybe Jesus will heal his son. But Jesus doesn't budge, does he? Instead, he speaks. He says just five words. Verse 50, go. Your son will live. Now, this man's got a choice. He, he can stick with his plan A. He can keep pleading for Jesus to come back with him. You know, what if, what if Jesus actually hasn't pulled off this miracle? At least then he'll have a backup plan. Jesus will be there. Maybe then he can heal his son. After all, it's his son's life. You know, why wouldn't he do everything in his power, everything in his power to ensure his safety? Or he can move to plan B. With humility, he can believe Jesus on his terms. He can listen to Jesus and trust in his words of promise. Wonderfully, 
Now we see this man chooses plan B. End of verse 50. The man believed what Jesus said to him and departed. And because Jesus is always faithful to his words, it's here in the story we see this sign play out for this week. Let's read the rest of the account from verse 51. While he was still going down, his slaves met him, saying that his boy was alive. He asked them at what time he got better. Yesterday, at seven in the morning, the fever left him, they answered. The father realized that this was the very hour at which Jesus had told him, your son will live. Then he himself believed, along with his whole household. How incredible that must have been for the father, for his whole household. Jesus powerfully healed his son. Now, as amazing as this sign is, we need to ask the question, what's it revealing? Remember, John's recorded this sign to point to a greater reality. If we, don't, if we don't stop and consider that, we might end up being like the Galileans here, just fixated on the signs. The first thing the sign shows us is that Jesus is the glorious Son of God, the one who has power over sickness and death. When Jesus performed this sign, he was in a different town to the Son. As far as we know, they'd never met. And yet with five words, just like that, the Son was healed that very hour. The reality is that Jesus didn't even need five words, did he? He didn't need five words. He did it for the sake of the Father, for the crowd there listening in. He did it for our sake. Doesn't that just blow your mind? I want to give an analogy, you know, some kind of worldly comparison, but we've got none, do we? Because Jesus is the one and only eternal Son of God. Do you have a faith in Jesus that incorporates this view of who he is? Do you have an expansive view that takes hold of the reality that we're not at the center of this universe? Jesus is. He's amazing. And the more we grasp this reality, the more we see there's only one response to the one Son of God. It's worship. Like Troy was talking about before, it's praise and worship. He's worthy of all our adoration, our reverence, all our service. Well, if that's not enough, the sign reveals even more. It points to Jesus' mission as the Messiah, the Savior of the world. You know, as amazing as these signs were, uh, they didn't actually fix the guy's problem in the end. You know, his, his son still got sick and died, just like he did. Death is, a, death is just a reality of everyone and everything in this world. And God tells us in his word that it's, it's his right judgment for a world that's rejected him as Lord, a world that's cut themselves off from the source of all life. And so when we see sickness, when we experience it, it's a symptom of this reality. But even more than that, it's a warning for a future day, a day when those who have rejected God will face this final judgment, a day when it, which will lead to an eternity for them being apart from God and all things good which is why Jesus' mission is so wonderful. Because God sent his one and only son into this world so that in his death on the cross, Jesus would take the punishment that we deserve for sins and in his resurrection, he would rise to new and indestructible life. What does all this accomplish? Jesus tells us in the following chapter, 
The words are going to come up on the screen. Chapter 5, verse 24. He says this. He says, I assure you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. Through Jesus' life, his death and his resurrection, he's made a way for people to no longer come under God's final judgment, but instead to go from death to life, indestructible life, eternal life, life that begins now but culminates in the new creation where there won't be any more sickness or death. Who's this life for? Let's have a look at the verse again. Jesus assures us it's for anyone who hears his word and believes. There are many wonderful promises Jesus makes to us. Just have a read through John's gospel. It's amazing. There's so many, and they're great. I don't think any are more wonderful than this, though. So are you listening to Jesus? And like the man in our passage, are you trusting him? If you're not someone who's, who's done this before, there's still time. Listen to his words as revealed in Scripture. Hear what he has to say. Hear what he reveals about who he is and what he's come to do. In the end, respond in repentance and faith. It could be as simple as five words to God. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And if you throw your lot in with Jesus, then his promise is for you. Hear Jesus' words one more time. He says, I assure you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but it's passed from death to life, from death to life. People explore Jesus for all sorts of reasons. Often it's not as extreme as a, a dying family member. Sometimes they think it will teach them how to be a better person or live a better life. Or maybe it'll be a way they can make more friends. Uh, they're not bad reasons in themselves, are they? But it's so wonderful when through this process, people actually come to know Jesus. And so they find life. Last year, I was involved in the life course, funnily enough. If you haven't been, it's a four-week course where you get to explore Jesus. And I remember in the first week, I met a guy called Alex. He told me he was a Christian and he was coming along to kind of better understand his faith. But it was only a few months later I was talking to Alex and he was reflecting on that first time. And he said, mate, I had no idea who Jesus was. In his own words, I think he said, I wrote down on my phone, I think he said, I was just paying him lip service. But the wonderful thing is that in those few months since, Alex had come to know Jesus. He'd come to know him as his Lord and Messiah. You see, Alex, Alex listened to Jesus and he trusted in him. Because Jesus is always faithful to his word, Alex went from death to life. He's now sold out to Jesus. Uh, he, he goes to another church, which is a bit closer. Uh, he still sometimes listens to our sermons. So Alex, if you're listening to this one, keep going, brother. <laughs> uh, this is my last sermon here at Snack. Uh, next week will be our last Sunday. Um, and then we're going to go to Adelaide, where I'm going to be a minister at a small growing church there. 
Um, and as I've, we've started to say goodbye to you guys, as I've started to say goodbye, it's hard to find the right words, uh, words to uh, show our thankfulness for you and words to hopefully encourage you. Um, so I'm glad that we've got these words because uh, they're wonderful. In the end, God's calling us from this passage to keep laying the realities of the gospel that govern and shape everything we do. And so as we finish, uh, here's one of my prayers uh, for you guys. I pray you'll be a community that is keeping on being captivated by Jesus, uh, worshipping him with your whole lives, with all your reverence, adoration and service. I pray you'll be swept up in the realities of what Jesus came to do and what he's accomplished. Uh, Promises like the one we've heard today of the new creation where there'll be no more sickness and death. And while you wait, while you long for this new creation, I pray you'll keep proclaiming Jesus to each other and even more than that, proclaiming him to others that they might share in this life too. Remember, the reality is greater than the sign. Jesus is the glorious Son of God and the merciful Saviour. Amen.